This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Aaron Granillo. And I'm Mike Lewis filling in for Dave Ross. We've just hit another very dark milestone in this pandemic. Today, the U.S. has recorded 3,100 single deaths in a day. You can think about that by thinking about the fact that about two people every minute now die from the virus. By the end of this episode, they're about 15 minutes long. Another 30 people will have died from COVID-19. Hospitalizations have also hit a new high. There are just over 100,000 nationwide. Dr. Robert Redfield with the CDC spoke publicly about what lies ahead of us now. The reality is December and January and February are going to be rough times. I actually believe they're going to be the most difficult time in the public health history of this nation, uh, largely because of the stress that's going to put on our healthcare system. In the spring, we were dealing with New York, Detroit, you know, uh, New Orleans, Los Angeles. We could shift healthcare capacity from one part of the country to the other. Um, right now, we unfortunately have a pandemic that's really throughout the nation. The mortality uh, concerns are real. Um, and I do think, unfortunately, before we see February, uh, we could be close to 450,000 Americans have died from this virus. Here's the bright side. The death rate is actually lower compared to the number of cases from where it was in March and April. Yeah. So and, and let's talk about, you know, why that is. So we know that more younger people are are going out and they actually have better survival rates, but they are the ones that are, of course, contracting the virus. So because they're younger, they're healthier, their survival rates are better. And also we know how to treat this virus better than we did back in March and April, of course, or therapeutics are better, our doctors are are better prepared too. Well, and this is actually, we're getting now to the death rate that was predicted a long time ago. This is not anything really that the scientists would tell you that they're not terribly surprised that the death rate is lower. That doesn't mean that it's not a problem, and it doesn't mean that the death rate still isn't because more people are infected. That still means we're setting records every day with the number of people who have died. And that is the thing that I think that worries the top uh, health officials is that we are having what you just said at the top of the top of the episode. I mean, it's an astounding number of people every day in the United States are dying. It's it's hard to compare if they were dying at this rate from other things. We would be in in even more of a panic. Yeah. And I mean, you look at other states right now. Arizona, their largest hospital system out there is talking about the fact that their hospital system could run out of beds as early as next week. Right. The the models here at, at the UW Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, they're showing that our hospital, our ICU beds could run out by the end of the year, so right. early January. So that that's the big concern here right now with hospital capacity. Yes, younger people probably won't end up in the hospital, but we've been saying this for months. Even though you might be asymptomatic and you're otherwise healthy, you can still spread it, and that, that is the big concern right now. Well, and also that we may have jumped the gun in when we set up the field hospitals and then took them down. I mean, now we are back at a place where those field hospitals are starting to look very likely. And now we're also at a place where everyone is going to need them. And we I mean, how long were ours up here? A week before we took them down. And and I understand that made sense then to take them down. But Right now, if I were a health official in this town, I'd be certainly on the phone looking to try and get at least one of those back. I've been wondering why we haven't started to see them pop up. And I also wonder this, Mike, because 
there were all these fears at the beginning of the pandemic that we would see our hospitals get overrun, and that didn't happen here. I wonder, because we did sort of jump the gun then, that people don't think it'll happen this time, and they're not taking it as seriously during this this latest wave. Well, I think so, and I think also, here's the, it's kind of counterintuitive, but but bear with me. I think that talking about the increased survivability rate has lessened people's worry. Yeah, you're right. I think yeah. they feel like they can pass through it without really understanding that they're all that they may be carrying, you know, a grenade that that is not going to kill them but somebody near them. And and I think that when we started getting better at treating it, and you saw this happen with we've talked about this before, the comparison with with HIV prevention, um, once they got very good at treating it, once HIV was not a death sentence, they saw rates go up. Because people stopped worrying about it so much because they knew that they could get it and survive it. And I'm not sure it's the same effect here, but it feels very much the same. Yeah. And we say this every episode, too, but we can slow the spread. This is what the doctors tell us, the public health doctors tell us. If we wear masks, socially distance, and try to limit gatherings indoors, and if we do gather, keep them small and and do our best to, to keep them outside. Let's talk about now how small businesses are holding up during this wave, because, Mike, you you own a small business here mm-hmm. in Seattle, and this is a great time, I think, to ask you some, some questions. So sure. how are you and your employees holding up during this second lockdown? It's difficult. It's difficult for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, the t- period of time that we opened didn't exactly offset the losses that we had the first time we closed, if we're just speaking economically. And plus, now we don't have for for the staff. I was not one of those employers who was in any way bothered by the extra money they were getting and the fact you couldn't get people to come back to work because of that extra $600. In Seattle, that was just a bare offset for what it's going to cost anyway. Maybe in Iowa, that was an effect. It wasn't an effect here. So, But it made me sleep easier knowing that they all could keep their apartments, that, that everyone was getting that extra money. We don't have that now. So those two factors are difficult, and you're kind of waiting on the federal stimulus. I also think that from a health standpoint, so far we've been really, really lucky in that we haven't had any cases among our immediate staff, uh, and we we were really exact. And we even got a shout-out, and the bar got a shout-out on Reddit for somebody coming in and said, man, those people at the Streamline take it serious <laughs> about the distancing and whatnot. And I was kind of pleased to see that somebody had posted that. Uh, so how are we holding up? I think the indefinite nature of the closure is hard on everyone, and I certainly am getting more concerned that we're not going to be able to keep all of our staff uh, when we come out of this. Mike, you take this seriously. We just found out that Reddit finds that you take it seriously. (laughs) Do you think it's fair that you had to close down? So, yes. Actually, I think it's fair that we had to close down. I, what I felt, I felt Danny Westneat in the Seattle Times hit it right on the head, which is, which is clearly he's listening to some business owners in this regard. When Jay Inslee, when Governor Jay Inslee decided to close down, we, everyone was expecting it was going to happen. We all see the, see the infection rates. When he decided to close down businesses for a bit, restaurants and bars for a second time, it, he seemed rather surprised by the questions about financial help. He didn't seem surprised at all about the health questions, but when someone said, well, what are you planning on doing? Because, I mean, Colorado famously put a billion dollars aside to help restaurants and bars and, and businesses that were closed by the pandemic. And Jay seemed a little perplexed and defensive that mm-hmm. they'd put together $50 million, which it sounds like a lot of money, but really mm-hmm. is nothing for, what, $300 a business or something right, like that exactly. if you do the math. Yeah. And so 
And now the state then, I think, realized that and then expanded that amount of money. So I'm getting uh, in a meeting later today about applying for state grants for this. So so do I think it's fair? I understand that. I understand that some of the numbers seem to indicate that it's big get-togethers regardless. I mean, can I go on a bit of an aside here? Yes, absolutely. So here's the one thing that bothered me about like the alcohol serving. So when they, when they decided that we could serve alcohol until 10, and then we could serve alcohol until 11. Mm-hmm. And then now we can't serve it at all. We, we can't be open unless you're sitting, unless people are sitting outside. And our place doesn't offer, it doesn't have the capacity for outside. You, so you can't even do outdoor. Not really. Right We're now. on a hill. Mm-hmm. And that makes the outside seating thing, <laughs> yeah. like logistically, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And it's also expensive to outfit yourself to do these sort of things. But let's, setting that aside, it seemed that you could serve food as late as you wanted. You just couldn't serve booze. And they felt like the reason was rationale. And I see this, and I work in a bar. That booze will make people stop their own inhibitions about social distancing, wearing a mask, things like that. And I think that you have to be you have to have a staff that's on top of it because you have to enforce that stuff. And people will sort of like forget what they're doing and and do things that like not wear their mask when they go to the bathroom or something like that. But here's what bothered me. So when we would close, we would see and you can ask any bar owner in Seattle, we'd see everyone get up and troop to the nearest Bartels buy a bunch of mm-hmm. White Claw and go to someone's house. Yeah. And that felt to me like, well, they were in a controlled environment and now they're not. Yet, because people were in a bar, I think the contact tracing may not... And if you talk to bar owners, like sometimes you had six people in, right? And they were all at a distance, but then you see them all decamp, especially when the weather was nicer, and head to someone's house with, with cases of booze. If the booze is the problem, stop all of the sales. Supermarkets, don't decide... Who gets to make the money on the booze? Just decide that, all right, well, we're going to stop all alcohol sales after 10 p.m. And we're going to try and make that enhancement for people to make better decisions about how they distance. That seems to me like a little bit more on the fair side. But I understand that the whole notion of people gathering in bars and gyms and restaurants, I don't I don't uh, I don't disbelieve the science. Yeah, I really don't. Yeah, we've talked about this a little bit uh, in the newsroom. Um, I, I don't think prohibition would ever happen. Right? There's just too much, too many taxes and sales taxes that go along with it. That the was alcohol. the way to make it permanent. That yeah. literally was the way to make it permanent. Yeah. I'm just now finishing uh, uh, Last Call, which is a book on the history uh-huh. of prohibition. There you go. But what we've discussed is what the governor is doing. He's controlling what he can control. Right. Right. You can't, you can tell people that don't gather indoors. But right. You, I mean, this is not a communist country. People totally. are going to do what they want to do. We're Absolutely. a free democracy. But we can find you. We can find your business, Mike, for staying open. And so what the governor is doing is saying we can at least control some indoor gatherings, so we're going to do that. Well, the, the, the comparison I like to give people, and I understand that, and actually, again, like I said, I don't disagree with the science. It would be nice to get a little help on the financial end, yeah. given that we're the industry that's getting shut down. But the way I described it to – I don't remember what, what, uh, what show I was on when I described it to somebody. But I said it's like this. Like the, the old joke about a uh, man <clears throat> walks out of a bar and he sees a guy outside who had been in the bar stumbling around, obviously drunk, underneath the streetlight looking down. And he walks up to the man and he says, what are you, what are you doing? He goes, I lost my keys. And – and he said, well, did you lose him right here underneath the streetlight? And he said, no, I think I lost him in the alley. And he goes, well, why are you looking here? And he said, well, that's where the light is. This is the way we regulate these things. <laughs> you know, we kind of go where the light is, maybe more than where the problem is. However, if, if we are a contributor to it, I think that that's actually completely plausible. But I would also say, help us out. And yeah. it looks like the state now is trying to free up a little bit of money. There's these $20,000 grants 
um, I would imagine that it's going to get oversubscribed very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm nervous thinking about it because I haven't put my application in yet, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to probably after this conversation. So, uh, so yeah, I would like for us to do our part, and I would like for the one industry. I mean, there are industries making a lot of money right now. Mm-hmm. We know one of them right here in town, and so on Amazon, I assume. maybe <laughs> yeah. But there's others that are as well. Like it would be nice to maybe have find some means to prop us up just temporarily. I don't need any help. Once we're in a regular economy, but right now I could use it. Well, let's let's talk about the federal level now. Uh, the federal stimulus package that actually is inching, hopefully, toward uh, an end. So there are negotiations this week. Democrats and Republicans are starting to at least come together a little bit. There's this shaky bipartisan package. It includes $908 billion of relief. It's more than Republicans want, but less than what Democrats want. So right. that's where we're trying to kind of meet in the middle here. Within that billion, $900 billion deal, we have $288 billion that would go to small businesses. Uh, also, extra unemployment benefits of $300 a week. I mean, that sounds like a good deal. I think it sounds like a great deal. I think the last time through and the PPP loan for as problematic as it was for the every bank system crashed, uh, I, I think there are things about that you could really improve. Yeah. But did it help keep some businesses afloat? Did it actually make the economy kind of work during that period? I think the numbers are, are inarguable. Of course it did. It really did help. The $300 is less. It seems like a fair compromise. But remember... The Mitch McConnell plan is half of that yeah, amount, exactly. and, and, and he includes zero money uh, for the unemployment insurance bonus, and he wants that other thing, the other thing being uh, immunity right. from lawsuits yep. for businesses that may or may not have had good COVID procedures uh, in place. And that's going to be, like I think he is going to insist on that, and my guess is that he is going to flex on the unemployment money and leave that but it only if he gets that uh, tort reform for big business. Well, if McConnell is good at one thing, it's it's passing legislation oh, and, yeah. and bills. Oh, yeah. he, he's yeah. a master. He understands the end game. Indeed. You might have gotten an alert on your phone this week prompting you to turn on coronavirus exposure notifications. That is thanks to a collaboration between the University of Washington and the Department of Health. The latest numbers from Governor Inslee show about 700,000 people have already signed up. That number is probably higher because that's just a couple of days ago. You surprised by that number, Mike? I am actually surprised by the numbers because you sometimes can over-index on what social media you're looking at. And I saw so much blowback. I would never download that Mm. thing. I I I remember I got the alert about it, and I was kind of half awake. And I just went like, yeah, all right. <laughs> you, you enabled it? Oh, yeah, right totally. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I think it was because I was sleepy. But okay. even then, I still think I would have. You think it's a coincidence that they sent that alert out in the middle of the night when you no. were sleeping? <laughs> I yeah, do yeah, not yeah, think yeah. that's a coincidence. Exactly. Okay, but how do we actually convince people who, you, you already heard the chorus of people saying, yeah, yeah. what? I don't want the government tracking me. How do we convince people that that's not exactly what's happening? I mean, it is and it isn't. I guess you can tell them what actually is happening here but you could also i i get it i get people in the invasion i gotta say look if you have a phone it's happening already so so this is not i mean if you're worried about that thinking that last snowflake is the gonna cause the avalanche i mean maybe i don't know but my guess is that no it won't but if you want to look at the countries that have gotten to a ridiculously low if not a a complete Mm -hmm. zero infection rate level taiwan being a great example 
it's vert it's because of these apps no it doubt. literally is like the phone is the one way they know that they can actually sort of inform us and track us in a ma- in a fashion that allows for this level of thing. Now, do you want that much invasion all the time? No. Is this thing going to be something you can delete at the end of it? I'm hoping. Yeah, I think it, mm-hmm. I think it is. Yeah. But for me, the trade-off, it seemed like a no-brainer. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I enabled them. I told my wife to enable them. It's a it's it's a sense of security for me. Yeah. I, mean, I, I still go to the grocery store, right? I mean, I keep my distance. Right. But if I'm around somebody, that means maybe I won't come into work the next day if I get the notification, perhaps, right? I mean, we're, Precisely. we're all trying to prevent the spread here. Yeah, and and for me anyway, I mean, if if this gets us, gets things moving faster back to some sort of semblance of what they were, I, I'll download every app they ask. <laughs> if I can just get back to normal, some form of normal business and perhaps then by extension normal life. Uh, I'm all in. Even at the risk of being called sheep. Even at the risk of being called a sheeple. Yes. Very good. All right. By the way, if you have an Android, you can download the app, search for WA Notify, W-A Notify. And if you're an iPhone user, you can go to settings and search for exposure notifications. It'll prompt you to turn them on or off. Mike, thank you for joining us. This has been COVID-19 Seattle. The show will be back again next Thursday with Dave Ross back on the air. In the meantime, listen to Cairo Radio 97.3 or go to MyNorthwest.com for the latest coronavirus news and information. And uh, and please, you know, you can catch me every evening, 7 to 10 p.m. on Cairo Nights. We are also regularly talking about issues like this, but, you know, issues across the Puget Sound. So join us at 7 p.m. Thanks again, Mike. Thank you.